Welcome to another episode of the My Creative District podcast, where we discuss how to channel your creative power into building the life you want, building the business you want, and making the impact you want. We believe creatives can live out a passionate and fulfilled life when they completely embrace their unique design and purpose. Want to turn your passion into profit? Stay tuned to hear from industry professionals, paradigm shifters, and world changers who have done just that and live it every day. This is the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Hey guys, today I am interviewing Rona Bennett and we will be discussing how she became a part of En Vogue an accomplished actress, and how she started her personal power university. But before we begin, I want to remind you that My Creative District and Worldwide Dance Challenge has just reopened enrollment in the Worldwide Dance Academy. If you know anyone that would be interested in learning how to dance from instructors across the world, have them visit WorldwideDanceChallenge.com slash academy to learn more. So what's up everybody? Uh, again, I am so blessed and so honored to have Rona Bennett, also Ro, on uh, today's episode. And again, she is third of the iconic R&B group in Vogue. She's an accomplished actress, a life coach, and a founder of her own university that we're going to get into that in just a second. But Rona, so good to have you on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely, absolutely. And I have asking all of my guests this question because we are still in a, a little bit of a uncertainty with everything that's going on. How has this uncertain time been treating you uh, over the last couple months? Talk about uh, incredible growth uh, that I didn't know I needed or would get. Uh, that's, what <laughs> <laughs> that's what these last few months. You know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm such a workhorse, you know, I'm used to going, going, going. And uh, we did a lot of traveling, of course, on the road with the group. And then everything just came to a halt. I just so happened to be dealing with a breakup at that time and went through like what some might even call a dark night of the soul because it was something that I expected so much more from that was like, not so much, right? Oh, no. And, but it was, of course, hindsight, right? Being 2020, one of the biggest blessings for me because it got me back to the basics. It took me to the core. It broke me down to build me back up. I feel more resilient than I felt in I can't tell you how long. It made me dig deeper, get to know who I am, where I am right now. Made me get creative. You know, yeah. my industry has been impacted, one of the worst, right? Oh, yeah. Impacted. You know this because we're in the same industry. So inspired me to be creative. And now so many things are being birthed from it. So much healing has birthed from it. That I'm just like, I mean, it's been crazy living in the mystery of life, but it's been one of the biggest blessings. I was so excited about this conversation because I, I know the challenges that have been faced, that people are facing in the entertainment industry right now. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast is how to overcome uh, obstacles, how to overcome challenges, how to use them, and then also how to think outside of the box. I think right now, everybody that considers themselves a creative is even being forced to be more creative than they <laughs> they planned on. You know because, about that. <laughs> yeah, we're not even used we're not even able to use our creativity in the way that we were used to using it so many of us, right? So I know that there's a lot to talk about here with again in Vogue and all the things that you've done, you know, done stuff with Jamie Foxx and and all these kinds of things, but I, I want to put into context. I, I always like to do this. Let's go back to 
I want to go back to the 13 year old version of Roe. What was growing up for you like in your teenage years? I got lucky, I think, in knowing what I wanted to do at a very early age. The entertainment bug bit me probably about seven or eight years old. I started working professionally in the business at 12. I was going to school, but I also was working on the sides, whether it was a play, whether it was recording early on, industrial films. Uh, at 13, I had gotten my first big break from Oprah Winfrey. She did a, a television show called The Women of Brewster's Place. And it was a place where I could marry acting to singing. It was based in like the 1960s, I wanna say. And my girlfriend and I, who I was her best friend on the show, we both were aria singers. We sang opera and we were integrating a school. We were, I guess, the first two black children to get there and, and, and sing. And that was like this major thing. So that was what I was doing at 13 and gearing up to go for the nationwide auditions for being, becoming a Mouseketeer. Yeah, Mouseketeer, and and uh, you know we've had some of your friends on on this show. Chasen was on this on an episode, and he's also a judge with me on the Worldwide Dance Challenge. So so tell me a little bit about that experience. That was a big break for a lot of you guys at that time. And what was it like being a mus uh, a Mouseketeer? Because we saw it from the TV angle. I want to hear it from the backstage angle. <laughs> what you want to know? No. <laughs> you know what I used to think it was like a performance arts school on steroids. We did everything from learning how to interview. I, I learned media training that I still use to this day. I mean, we learned how to align with a brand very early on, you know, language, music videos. We did that early. Working with five cameras for dance numbers. We did that early. Recording, learning how to professionally record and all kinds of things were going on with that. We did on location education. So we lived in kind of our own little bubble, if you will. So we've developed some lifelong friends, as you know, and we still work together to this day. A lot of support. I think we got lucky in liking each other enough to want to stay in touch and support each other and celebrate each other's talents. I'm sure we had some issues on the side, but I wasn't really necessarily in that aspect of it. You know, we had the things that normal kids have. That's another thing that we got lucky with, I think, uh, working for Disney and being a Mouseketeer, we weren't in the Hollywood scene so that wasn't a major issue of course kids did what kids do when you want to push the envelope yep. but it wasn't so far off base to me from what your average kid might experience so we didn't lose our childhood and maybe also because we were working together as kids we had a lot of kid energy around yep. us so that was one of the things i thought i thought they had the best kept secret and now the world knows you know, you've got Justin Timberlake, yeah. Lara, Britney Spears, Ryan Gosling, Carol. I mean, the list goes on with the amount of talent that they were able to curate for that show. And how, how many seasons were you a part of that show? I did four seasons. You did four seasons. Uh, completed it, yeah. Okay. So how old were you when you were done with that show? 18. Okay, so you're right at 18. Yeah. Ready to go, ready to introduce in the world. So, so what, was it, what was it like being on a, on a long running role, like you said, kind of being in a bubble and now you're back in life. Yeah. So what was the next step? Yeah, when I went back to Chicago, which is where I'm from, shout out to everybody from Chi-Town. <laughs> I remember telling my mom and thinking to myself, telling my parents, I wanna go where the big dogs play. And I knew that was to Hollywood. That was the next major step. I was already prepared to do that during the last season of the show. I was living on my own at 17. 
So I was like, I'm out, you know? So my major transition was coming out here to Cali and going on auditions against grown women. Uh, that was very different for me because I just came from a kid's show. I'm wearing baggy clothes, cross colors. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I wasn't wearing the little cute mini skirts and I just was not in touch with my femininity on that level at that time. So that was probably my biggest transition, but I was ready. I was ready. Some of the Mouseketeers had already come out here. I think, uh, you know, people would know who they are, but I was roommates with one of them until I kind of took off on my own. Was there a time, because you came out of this four years of this long running role, and did you kind of ever have that feeling like, well, look what I did with Disney, like that should carry me to the next level? Did you find that it was easier, harder, no different to get new roles because you had that long standing role? What, what, what was that like? You know, it's funny because we didn't want to tell anybody we were Mouseketeer. Mm. It wasn't cool at one point to be a Mouseketeer. It sounded corny. Okay. You know, for me, you know, Disney wasn't free when I was on Disney. You had to right. pay for it. So yeah. a very select few, although a very diehard base of fans, but a very select few people knew about it. So for some people, it's like Mouseketeer. It almost worked against me, I feel. Okay. To see that going against, you know, adult women for adult roles. It's like, oh, the last thing you did was be a Mouseketeer for four years. Okay. Like, not, nothing sexy about that. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that was the main thing is, is, is really not letting that be a prominent thing on my resume. Truly just showing up with talent and seeing if that would break the barrier. And that was what we pretty much relied on. I, I remember a lot of us did not want people to know that we were Mouseketeers for quite some time. Later, it became like a novelty to be like, oh, you were a Mouseketeer. It's like, yeah. yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew yeah. it was going to be what it is now, you know? You get out to Hollywood, you want to play with the big dogs. And when you play with the big dogs, you, you get big dog challenges. You get big dog experiences. So let's talk about that for a second. Did you get booked right away? Was it like easy street for you or did you find yourself kind of trying to figure out your way a little bit before you started to get on the different roles? It wasn't immediate and I remember like my mom's huge on education so she's like you going to school? <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm like this is so not what I want to do. I want to I'm an entertainer that's yeah. it you know but because things weren't popping off immediately I was like I guess I'll go to like Valley College and take some classes which I did um, but in the meantime, I was still auditioning. Um, I tried to get a waitress job, but I so didn't know how to interview for a waitress job. I totally was like, my career's more important. <laughs> if I get this, I'm out. And they're like, yeah. lady, no. <laughs> you know, I did attempt to get a job, but it didn't work out. And I did go to school. And then I booked my first series regular role when I was like 20. So I came out when I was getting ready to turn 19. I was 18 years old. In a few months, I would be 19. I got my first major role when I was 20. So that took off. But after that was over, I want to say then I got my solo career off the ground. I signed with uh, Rodney Jerkins. I was like the first lady of Dark Child. And um, that was major, but that failed through. That was the, hmm. you know, when, they, when they're supposed to break a star back in the day, they would take you overseas you know, yeah. blow you up and then bring yeah. you back to the States. But whatever happened, something was going on with Rodney's company and with Sony. And so what rained on him, rained on me, didn't happen. So these big grandiose thoughts about what was going to take place all went down, okay? So I remember not knowing exactly what the next step was going to be. 
there's a lot of these plays that are out here, you know, that you can get on the road and, but it's a grind, you know, you're working like seven days a week, travel on the other day, or what is it? No, 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 I'm sorry. Six days a week, travel on the seventh day. So four shows on the weekend. I did that for eight months with this, um, this play. And it was grueling. But one of the things that happened on that play, I was opposite this heartthrob actor that was, you know, the star and I was opposite him. And he didn't feel that I measured up mm. aesthetically to what he felt the role should be. Okay. And, okay. And so I remember because of my talent and my work ethic, I kept my job. Like they could not fight the fact that I was coming to work. I was doing what I was supposed to do. And I had talent to be there, like I earned my keep, but it, well, by the time I finished, it had compromised, it really challenged my self-esteem. It really challenged yeah. my self-image. Yep. And so the disciplined me, because I was very disciplined, which is what I feel, I was unconsciously creating success before I got here. Now I know what I was doing, mm -hmm. but when I got home, I remember wanting to relax my edges at that point. You know, I wasn't the partier really, I wasn't the hangout, you know, I was like, I'm hanging out, partying with my friends. You know, I just started to relax my edges, got away from some of the disciplines that got me successful in the first place. I think just because I, it, was, it was a challenge for me and this was the way I was dealing with it, you know? And so that is when I first started to recognize some cracks in my foundation. Uh, although I was still living off of old seeds I planted because I planted a lot of seeds. I know I'm jumping and you're probably going to get me, but... I planted seeds. I was still living off those seeds, but um, eventually I, I looked at a drought later. And I remember when it started and that's when I think it started. It was years later, but yeah. I was just getting my disciplines. Yeah. yeah. So I, I want to go back to that for a second. So first of all, I want to talk about what was it like, you know, that drought or that, that, that season from 19 to 20 before you really booked your first gig, you're out there grinding, trying to figure things out. Did you ever come to this place like you're like, oh boy, did I make the right choice here? Can I really do this? Did you ever have that? Or were you just kind of that person that was always confident enough to just be like, nah, I got this? I don't know if I ever questioned it until I hit a wall later in my career when I thought I wasn't going to be entertaining anymore. Up until my proverbial wall, I thought I could do it. Yeah, I was pretty confident. That's how I started. Because even as a kid, I was insecure about things about my body type or whatever, but because I had not lived on the planet long enough to get enough doubt poured into my reality, mm -hmm. my, my vision said I could have it. And so okay. I just went after it. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't want to, I want to talk about that. So you said your vision said that you can have it. So you went after it. I'm a big believer that what we focus on, mm -hmm. we get more of. Yeah. And so Tell me how you feel like, because I, I feel like I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, they always see the problem. They always see the problem and they, 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 see the, they see the cracks like you talked about, but they're so focused on the cracks that they're getting more cracks. They're finding more cracks. And then it's more proof to say, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Right. What, how do you think that your difference in your focus, instead of focusing on the cracks, you focused on... I know I can have it. How do you feel like that got you through those times? Like, you know, a year and not booking a gig, having somebody constantly telling you you're not measuring up. How do you, how do you feel that that helped you get through those times that stopped so many? 
I think you just said it. I mean, what you focus on, you it expands, right? So it went, I'll, I'll just fast forward to the proverbial wall that I hit. And this was after I, you know, I've, I've had to leave the group on a couple occasions, you know, whether the original members came back or what have you. One time I was not prepared uh, for that to happen. I had gotten complacent. I got a little lazy, you know what I mean? I was on automatic pilot. And I wasn't planting seeds like I used to, you know, I wasn't visualizing. And when I say planting seeds, like, you know, watering them with my attention, you know. And so then I'm looking at a drought and I'm like, what decisions did I make that have me looking at the results I see? Like, why am I looking at this? What happened? And so I did some self-inventory and I was like, okay, so you made this choice that produced this. You made these choices and you didn't change it. So that produced that. And so it just became a snowball, right? And unless you check this stuff along the way, it's just gathering on up, become this big old tumbleweed. And next thing you know, you're looking at the drought of the land where the tumbleweed landed. And so I think that what you said is key. Going in there, one, doing some house cleaning, making some new choices so that you can get some new results, and then focusing in that direction until you start to see those results. It's like that, that is what it takes. It takes a willingness to, to take responsibility you know, for the decisions you've made that are producing what you see and then make some new choices that are going to get you some different results and stay focused on that. Like tunnel vision almost. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then running a different tape. You know, a lot of us don't have that champion dialogue on deck. So you got the negative naysayer. It's been so conscious. It's been so constant possibly that you don't even realize it's always talking to you. We always got a voice going on, right? A lot of mental chatter but what is it actually saying to you a lot of us are not checking that voice mm. which is it's just kind of on automatic pilot and until you become conscious right because awareness is the first key to change yes. so i got to become aware that this is even saying things to me and then what is it saying to me and then i need to change my dialogue with myself so that was another thing i just went in and cleaned house changed my foundation sometimes we got to get broken down to build back up so i went in there and cleaned house cleaned house spirit emotional and then i stay focused and i stay and then when i get off fall off i get back on i don't make it a big event you know i just get back on ah i fell off get back on and then what we practice makes permanent mm -hmm. so the yeah. more we practice it the more it becomes a default reaction as opposed to the other thing that's been the default so you just said something i think is really powerful and you kind of hopped over it and I want you to unpack it a little bit. Um, you talked about not a lot of us have the champion on deck. Yeah. Tell me what you mean by that and how do you keep them there? So the champion dialogue, you know, we're all running a tape. And so what is your tape saying? Because a lot of the times we're creatures of habit. Human mm -hmm. beings are, as you know, are creatures of habit. And so what are your habits? What are they saying to you? What is that constant voice that probably goes unchecked on a more regular basis than not, especially if you have unchecked stimuli coming in, news, gossip, other people's thoughts, social media. You know, if this stuff is just coming in unfiltered, yeah. it's affecting how you see life, it's affecting how you respond to it, all of that. So what is your, your current tape telling you? What's it running? What's the programming it's running? And then when you see that the program is not supporting the you you choose to be, if it's not empowering you, then you got to replace that tape with something that does. You got to replace that dialogue with something that does. And this is where it sounds Pollyanna-ish, but it's, the, it's one of the greatest things that's not only created change for me, but for clients that I have as well. Affirmations and an incantation. 
Yes. Affirmations are huge. You know, just because they're cliche to say, that's why they're cliche, because they work, right? So you got to like, and sometimes I think the problem is with affirmations is that they may sound too basic. Maybe it's not really real. So if you're in a space of depression, I mean, this is kind of extreme, but let's say you're in a space of depression and you're like, I feel amazing. That's just not a good bridge to where you choose to be. It's, it's not realistic. You're, you don't feel amazing. But you may say, I am doing something every day to help me feel more amazing, more and more amazing. Or I'm doing something every day to raise my vibration. Or I'm doing something every day to let go of something that doesn't help me to feel better about who I am. Now, that's true. You could be doing that. I could be doing something every day. I am uh, letting go of people or I am letting go of the negative mental chatter or I am letting go of this behavior pattern every day, more and more, that's helping me to feel better about myself. That's a better affirmation for you. Yep. It's bridging the gap from where you are to where you choose to be. So I think that if we become better, for lack of a better way to say it in this moment, about the, what we're telling ourselves, how we bridge the gap to where we're going, you'll believe in your affirmations more and you'll see that they're actually really dynamic tools to use. I also like incantation, which is like a string of affirmations together where it's like a personal manifesto. And this I'm sure you teach because you're a dynamic, amazing coach as well. So like I love personal manifestos, right? And being that we're creatives, let's put it to some music, baby. Like, you know, turn yeah. this into the thing where you enjoy what you're saying to yourself, where you do it every morning and this is your remote control instead of rolling over and picking up social media. This is what you're feeding yourself before you go to bed. Or this is what you're feeding yourself when you wake up in the morning. Because coming out of the sleep state is one of our most fertile spaces for creativity and self-development. What are we doing with that stuff? So just, you know, more acute attention to the stimuli we're allowing to come in and what we're putting out can change our whole world. I know the power of incantation specifically because I had to use that for a time that I was going through that I was struggling with the incantations. It's also getting your whole physiology involved and it's not just saying something with you. And I, I, I haven't tried it with music. So now you just gave me an idea, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's, 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 that's gotta be right up my alley right there. I am definitely all about the speaking. What we say with our mouth obviously is what we focus on and your body gets into a state. You know, we, we have the ability to control our state. And what you're talking about is really that. It's setting you up to be in a state to succeed because success has a state. Failure has a state. If you're not seeing the results of success yet that you want to, you can put yourself in a state to produce those results so that eventually you will. I want to talk a little bit about, you said that, you know, you prepared yourself or lack of preparation led you to a drought. This might say, well, I've been experiencing a drought my whole life, or I'm in the drought right now. Yeah. How does somebody start planting different seeds? And, and, and how did you, what did you start doing differently to start setting yourself up for success, which I want to talk about here in just a minute? So I think, you know, one of the things that kind of uh, surprised me, but not, I guess, was when I would get on the phone with someone and I would say, what does your ideal life look like? If you could have things show up tomorrow or today and be what you would like to bring you real joy and satisfaction, they don't know what to tell me. They're like, oh, I, you know, I never thought about that. So you're not even being driven by vision. You're just kind of in the hamster wheel sometimes. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are in the rat race, they're washing repeat, they're in Groundhog Day. Yeah. And so 
right? So it's like, a lot of times it just takes you to sit down and say, yeah, what does my ideal life look like? Like, who would I be to achieve this life? What would I be doing to achieve this life? What kind of actions would this person take? What would I be wearing? How would I dress myself? How would I groom myself? How would I speak to myself? How would I speak to others? Just getting into the vision of that can help you to take the next best step because now you've got something driving your behavior other than just wash and repeat. Some people have no vision and so they don't even know. So that to me is a start is getting clear about what you desire. It sounds very simple, but a lot of us aren't doing it. We're just kind of in the hamster wheel of life. And then um, I have a program at my school called Bean Bacon, right? And, and I don't even eat bacon, but this story. <laughs> <laughs> but this guy named Walter Haley wrote this book uh, years ago called Breaking the No Barrier, right? It's about rejection, like getting through all the no's until you get to your yes. Yeah. And so he talks about, have you read this book? No, I have not. Okay, so he talks about how he used to live on this quaint farm with his family and his dad decided to talk to him about what commitment meant. And he used their breakfast as a means to drive his message home. So he was like, son, you know, the chicken made a contribution to this breakfast. And he was basically saying that, you know, when we want eggs, all we got to do is go back out to the chicken coop, grab some eggs, cook them up. We want some more, go back to the chicken coop, cook them up, right? So the chicken made a contribution. He said, but the pig, the pig made a commitment. And he was basically saying that once a pig becomes bacon, there ain't no turning back from being bacon. The pig has to make the ultimate sacrifice to become the result of bacon. That's commitment. Mm -hmm. Yo, when I read that story, I have a chill right now because it just hit me so deep because I was like, oh, that's just so, like you don't stop doing what you need to do. You don't stop becoming who you need to become. You don't stop learning what you need to learn until you see the results you set out to get. Mm -hmm. A lot of us, are not committed. So you quit early and you say it didn't work, but how do you know it didn't work? There's a great quote out there by a guy named Ernest Holmes, right? He did this book called The Science of Mind. He has a simple quote in there, not a lot of fanfare, but it's one of my favorites. He says, do until you demonstrate. Mm -hmm. So it, no matter whether it's two days, two months, two years, 20 years, are you willing to do what you need to do until you see the results you set out to get? There are seeds I planted in my 20s that I'm seeing in my 40s. Mm. Yep. So it's the law of, the law of, uh, of gestation, right? Everything has an incubation and gestation period. Um, the law of gender, excuse me. So what you're saying is that <clears throat> your drought was a, a, was a result of a lack of focus on the future. Um, you were living for the now. And I think, I think, you know, as creatives, we have a tendency to to focus on the next gig and that's it, right? Where am I getting my next gig? Cause I think there's this thought process that once I get the right gig, mm -hmm. we're good, right? Uh -huh. Like we just need that one golden ticket, baby. That's one, that's all we need, right? And some might've said, well, you got the golden ticket. You know, we look back, we look back at the Mickey Mouse Club right now and say, that was a golden ticket. But I'll tell you, I've talked to, many of the people that have come from the Mickey Mouse Club and they said that was not a ticket. The other thing to think about is every time you reach a, reach a level of success, there's another challenge to overcome. Oh yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> what, what I'm curious of is what did you start to see 
once you started planting different seeds, once you started having, when you had this wake up call, like you said. So for a second, when I came out, I was doing what I normally would do. I might hop on um, unemployment, right? Until the next gig comes around, you know? But this wasn't one of those moments. I had a long winter. My winter lasted a few years. Oh, wow. So, oh yeah. So <laughs> uh, I remember when my boyfriend at the time had brought home this CD from Tony Robbins. Um, I believe it was Get the Edge. He worked at this real estate company and they must've had a rep come in and you know, like basically giving them a new way to approach things from a refreshed mindset. And so he brought this CD home and he's like, you wanna listen to the CD? And I was like, yeah, why not? You know, I listened and that, that like, it was like a light bulb went off. And I was like, oh, this is what I need. This is the next thing I gotta get back on. Like, I gotta change my whole routine up. Cause as creatives, as you probably, you know, we don't have to, we don't necessarily have to get up in the morning. We can get up, we're usually night owls, especially as a recording artist. You might be a night owl. You wake up whenever you want to. Your creative juices might flow at different times for different people. So we're not your average nine to five setup kind of person. But when I took my power back, I gave myself structure. That was a very, that was one of the first things I did. I went against the grain. I scrambled my old pattern on myself. So, you know, I started waking up at seven o'clock every morning. For me, that was huge. I was like, I don't get up at 7 a.m. You know what I mean? But I had to shift. I had to change. If I wanted different results, I had to do something different, right? Mm -hmm. So this jolted me out of my old pattern. I used to get up, do these quick, rapid breathing things that he would teach mm -hmm. me, you know, yep. thing, right? I, I would have this, I was learning my incantation at that time. So yep. I just started picking things up and then I went to the next program and then I went to the next. And what I didn't do was waste my winter mm. because I, I was so uncomfortable. I was so stressed. I was so scared that I was like, I won't be back here ever again. Like I remember saying, one, I refused to be unhappy because I didn't know what was going to happen with my career. Because at that time too, so much had changed. The digital boom had happened. Remember a lot of yep. the, the ways that the music industry worked was shifting so much. So much went yep. online. You were responsible for your marketing. Like a lot of indie artists were coming out. Big companies were downsizing. Yep. Some of them were disappearing altogether. Yep. A lot of people I knew disappeared from the industry. You know, it was, it was, it was crazy. So I was like, what am I doing right now? You became your own marketer. You know what I mean? You, you had to find your own distribution. You were pressing up your own CDs. I mean, it was in one aspect, it was empowering to have that much control. But in another aspect, you were, you were in a learning curve. Yeah. And you were competing with these companies that had budget and you just had to be creative enough to use this social media tool yeah. to create this new avenue of whatever you were doing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is, but we're going to make it happen. So I, I scrambled the pattern on myself big time and I was baking about it. I was consistent about it. I committed and I was, I was like, I'm going to keep doing it. I said, one thing I kept running in my tape, I said, it won't be like this always. I will call the shots on my time again. It won't be like this always. I will call the shots on my time again. I ran that tape a lot here today, yeah. right? But at that time, stressed, scared. I ended up getting my first nine to five at 30 something years old because I had to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. I had to, you know, there was a whole other level of, I'm not saying I had to humble myself, but there was a whole other level of humility there. You know what I'm saying? Like people would look at me like I was a fish out of water while I was working at this alternative health 
company because they would be trying to place my face or something. Oh, and, yeah. you know, some people would place it and some people wouldn't. It's like, yeah, so what kind of herbs you want? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I worked in every aspect of the business and everything I was learning, I would apply it at work. Every single thing I was picking up. So I don't know if you're familiar with the book from Og Mandino, not the greatest salesman, but uh, the University of Success. Yes, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've read a little bit of it. I haven't read the whole book. Yeah. So I did that whole thing and I applied every single principle at work. Everything I was learning, I was like, I'm applying it. Interpersonal skills, I'm applying it. And I got like three raises in one year. And once I feel like God saw I got it, he's like, all right, you're not going to take things for granted anymore. Okay, now you got your mind right. Okay, now you're going to respect the storehouse of blessings that you could have, but you wouldn't have been able to maintain anyway. You got complacent, you got lazy. Get your mind right, get your behavior right, and I got you. Transition me right out of that back into the industry. But I thought I was walking away at one point. I was, I was just going to say, yeah, because, you know, that's really interesting. I mean, you, to the point, sometimes, like for somebody like, uh, that that has had the caliber of success you've had in the industry have had you know the longevity and roles and stuff like that for you to take a nine to five a lot of times people would say that's it you're done yeah. right you're you're done and i i feel like uh, i think that there's a lot of people that you know that are out there that have this creative side to them maybe they've been in the industry at one point and they just they had their drought yeah. they had their winter and they're yeah. still in it Yes. What would you say to those people right now that are believing their chapter is their book is written and you're mm -hmm. saying it's just a new chapter? Yeah. And you just said it so eloquently. It, that is exactly what it is. It's, it, I think it comes down to what do you choose? Are you giving up on you? Do until you demonstrate. Two days, two weeks, two months, two years. Like, and, and let's go back to this, the term that everybody hears, but to me, we can drive this message home in this moment. This is why it is so touted to be passionate about what you do. Mm -hmm. Because when you hit places like this, how much do you really want it? Even right. as an entrepreneur, right? Like there's gonna, you're gonna probably be challenged. You're gonna get chin chat. That's just yeah. part of it. So how much do you care about what you're doing? What is your bottom line? That's how my coaching business started. If, if it was about the numbers for my coaching business, I'd have quit a, a while ago. That wasn't my bottom line. My bottom line is breakthrough and helping souls. It's hard work. Now I see more success, but it's like, it took me a second to even get here. This yeah. is a decade later after saying, I'm going to be a life coach. Because I thought I was, I had mentioned it before my drought. I was like, you know, it'd be kind of cool to be a life coach because people thought I gave good advice, but nothing had pushed me to put structure behind that thought. Yeah. Nothing had really pushed me against the wall where I got something to share with you right now. And so now I know what my passion is, what's driving what I do. And that's what sustained me for 10 years and enables me to see, you know, the growth that I'm seeing now after a decade of caring about hearts, caring about breakthrough. So what are you passionate about? Because you don't need it. Mm -hmm. You're going to need it to be on deck when you hit these, these bumps in the road because they're going to come, they're, but they're here to strengthen you, shape you, get your champion up, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so you come out of, you come out of that winter and, and uh, what, what did you start seeing as a result of you being faithful with 
cultivating these different seeds with, with doing these different things. I think one of the big things that I want to call out too, that I kept hearing you say is that I applied the principles. I think there are so many book readers out there that are doing nothing with the knowledge. They're just actually what they're doing. um, Caroline Leaf will talk about this. I'm a big Caroline Leaf fan. She talks about, she talks about uh, a lot about the brain, how it works and uh, she's out of South Africa. She's fantastic. And one of the things that she says is that you can actually cause brain damage by gaining knowledge that you don't put into action. And, 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 and I think there's a lot of people out there. We are in a content rich world right now. You can, everywhere you look, you can gain more knowledge, but knowledge without action is just words. So I think that that's a big thing that what, what you just said is that I started applying the principles that I was learning. So I'm curious, when did you start to see those seeds? When did you start seeing those principles that you were applying start to put power back into your entertainment um, side of your business? Wow. I don't know if I know that particular moment, but I just know that it was more about the quality of my being Mm. with those things. Sometimes it can't even necessarily be about this is just a thought. Oh, this is do if I apply this here, it's gonna get me there. It's like how how quality how am I approaching this moment with the thing that I know? Now you're building character. Now this is becoming an intrinsic part of who you are, as opposed to doing it for something outside of yourself. It is gonna produce it, it's gonna to help to produce it, but it's building character if you do it like moment by moment. How am I applying this? Yeah. to build the quality of who I am and the decisions that I'm making from who I am. It's going to naturally, I think, produce the thing that you're looking for, if not something better, uh, just because you're, you're choosing to focus on the quality of applying it in the moment. And that is what I was doing at the job. Like I was getting ready to look at me. I was getting ready to make a human resources department. I was going to be the person, I, this is what I was thinking. I was like, well, I, you know, since I can you know, want to coach, you know, whenever people have grievances and stuff like that, I'm going to create a department like that for this company. I don't have a, a college education. I'm self-taught, but I don't believe that that's something that can hinder you. I felt right. I was intelligent enough to read up about it and care enough about people that that's good enough. And more than likely, I would have created it if my career didn't come back around. But that was just from the quality of what I was choosing to apply, like what you're talking about. Applied knowledge becomes wisdom. Yep. That is what I was doing. And then it, I believe that the most high, if you believe in something, you know, bigger than yourself, which I do, was like, all right, she's serious. She means it. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Since that drought, where did you end up? Where did you end up going with your entertainment side of your, your, your life? I mean, I know you got back in with it, within Vogue. You started traveling. What happened out of that? Well, I definitely came back to my job different with a different mindset a different quality of me making decisions from that space. A better did that number. group notice that too right away? You know what? I don't know if they did or didn't. I just know that my results are saying, hey, well, I'm not the same person. Like even me being a coach, uh, the things that I've been producing on the side of In Vogue, you know, yep. the university, the, the television shows that are coming out of quarantine, the books I've written, all of that stuff was not being done before the drought. Came back and I'm a producer. I came go. back. I'm a seed planter. You know, I came back and I'm just a better quality me and I'm applying it still. And I needed that butt kicking 
if you will. I needed to be dropped to my knees to yeah. get it. So you have this personal power university. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, what, yeah. So let's, what, what, is, what is this project all about and what is it, what, who is it helping and what is it helping them with? So personal power university is a safe place to struggle and a great place to thrive. That's the motto of my university. Mm -hmm online coaching school. I teach people from all over the United States. I've got a few students outside of the country, Japan, Canada, Holland. Uh, it is 12 weeks of transformation with me. So I have a very small group that I coach every 12 weeks, or I take the month off in 12 weeks, take the month off in 12 weeks, very hands-on. And I believe that success is a holistic approach. It is not just about acquiring tangible things. Uh, we know lots of people who have material wealth that are not happy. Miserable. Uh, miserable possibly you know we, we want to go to the things that you know they might want to do when i learned what success really is that is what i based my school around so we deal with the mental aspect of being vacant limiting beliefs is someone else's approval shutting you down like what is the thing that's happening here that's compromising your ability to feel okay with who you are and to take bold steps in life to achieve the life you want to live uh, we deal with practical tools, what we're talking about. Like, we're not just going to vast, we're not just going to talk about this stuff. I'm going to give you these principles and we're going to do field assignments. You're going to take it and use it in real life. And then we're going to come back and talk about what the results are with that so that it becomes a real tool you're using, not just something we're mouth servicing about. Mm -hmm. And then we deal with the emotional aspect of being vacant, meaning, you know, if somebody's carrying a lot of shame, if you're carrying a lot of guilt, if there's something or someone that you need to let go of, if you're wearing an energy on you that's repellent for what you would like to achieve, we need to find out what that is because you could be dealing with a block within yourself and you're thinking, I'm doing all the right things, but nothing's happening. You may need to clean some things up energetically. You may need to clean some things up spiritually that's gonna open up the pathway. A lot of people feel intrinsically unworthy because they're carrying shame around. So you may be doing all the things but if you feel worthless on the inside, if you feel guilty about something you didn't clean up, that could be posing a block to your prosperity. So I go, we're trying, we're doing self-surgery on all of it so that you have an, a holistic approach to success. Mind, body, soul, mind, body, spirit. Some people come into my program and their goal is peace of mind. It's not even a tangible thing. Mm -hmm. That's success. So that's what personal power is about. Mm -hmm. personal power. And where can they where can they find out more about this this uh, this coaching program? RonaBennett.com. Everything's there. So um, you can go to the services page and check out my one on one coaching, as well as find out about the university. Okay, and we'll make sure we put a link to that in the show notes so that people can find out and uh, let you know find out more about you. Where where can they find you on social media if they want to connect with you further? On Instagram, it's official. Miss R&B, and that's M-I-S-S-R, the letter N and B. Okay. On Twitter, it's just Miss R&B. And then on Facebook, I have a fan page, but my main page is where it's popping. So that's Rona Bennett 7. <laughs> Rona Bennett on the number 7. All right, cool. And we'll definitely put a link to all of those in the show notes so that people can connect with you. Thank but listen, Rona, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. A lot yeah. of fun. I guarantee you we're going to have to have you come back on and uh, we'll, do a, we'll do another session because I feel like in another year, you're going to have a whole nother story to tell. So I'm excited to see what's, uh, what's going to happen. I, I believe that all these seeds that you're talking about, all this work that you've been doing, I know the impact that you've been making on people's lives. And I know that this university that you're talking about is going to make a, a massive impact. So I'm excited to hear 
more about that later on. But listen, we appreciate you. Until next time, we'll see everybody again soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Here, we turn your passion into profit. Follow us on Facebook and stay tuned for another episode of the My Creative District podcast.